Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And welcome to the second episode of the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Carlin. What's up, Ben? How are you? I'm doing well. And we have a very special guest today. We have Jackson Frank of The Athletic, Gonzaga Bulletin, other places. Jackson, how are you doing today? A very special guest. I'm honored to, to get that label. I'm doing well. How are you guys today? I'm doing pretty well. And this episode is actually sponsored by Simply Safe. With home security, there's two ways you can go about protecting your home. There's the traditional way where you wait weeks for a technician to do a messy installation that costs a small fortune. Or there's the other way, Simply Safe. Simply Safe is everything you need in a home security system. It's award it's award-winning protection. Two-time winner of CNET Editor's Choice Award. All right, so Max, what are we going to talk about on today's episode? Okay, so I think um, you know, a big board is not – it's not just a ranking of the expected values of every prospect in a class, you know, going out to 30, 60, 100, whatever it might be. Uh, there's some sort of weighting that you have to, you know, increase for, for these higher-end outcomes because we're talking about basketball, a sport where, where you have five guys on the court at a time and, and one player is just so important for the outcome of games – so you, you have to add weight to those, those high-end outcomes, even if they are probabilistically unlikely. Um, but in the case of the 2020 class, like these are just guys that don't have realistic high-end outcomes. And the few that do, I think, have high-end outcomes, it's, it's just it seems really unlikely that they hit them. Um, so I think what you're seeing with some people, uh, their, their philosophies are just to really askew those, those like chasing those high-end outcomes. And... Uh, "Quote unquote," settle for for safer prospects, um, and I think a couple guys that are that are near the top for for everyone, regardless of of their philosophy, would be Killian Hayes, who we talked about in in depth in episode one, and Onyeka Kongwu, uh, center from USC. Uh, so that's why I think it's it's a good time to talk about this with Jackson on because Jackson, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you have Killian Hayes ranked number one currently, and Onyeka Kongwu ranked number two. Yeah, that's that's correct. And then my first tier is joined by Lamelo Ball and Anthony Edwards. Uh huh. So I guess the 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 question you know for this discussion is when is it no longer worthwhile to gamble on these these improbable high end outcomes? And in a draft as weak as this one, uh, uh, like in terms of those high end outcomes, are you willing to just to just punt on on the chance at getting a franchise player? That you know, one of the, the like the Knicks, for example, just absolutely need like, getting Killian Hayes as a a solid plus starting point guard is not going to change their fortunes. But if Lamelo Ball or Anthony Edwards hits a ninety fifth percentile outcome, you know that's changing the the trajectory of your franchise. Yeah, I, I think this really is one of those drafts where you have to assess how likely and realistic that a hundredth percentile outcome or that that top 10, top 12 player outcome is. And for me, the reason I have Okongwu and Hayes higher than LaMelo and Anthony Edwards is because I don't, I don't buy them reaching that type of level where you can just, you can, you can build an entire team around them and just fill the pieces and fill the gaps there. Um, And one of the things that I think was brought up maybe starting maybe months ago or so is you, if you're the draft number one, you're giving that player a lot of money. And if you don't, and if the likelihood of them being a top 12, top 15 franchise player isn't as high in a normal draft, then that's a pretty risky gamble. We're not talking about a thing like, you know, look at last year where Kevin Porter Jr., people are like, well, if you take him 10th or 12th or whatever, he's worth that star outcome. Whereas if you're banking on Anthony Edwards, who I think is a better prospect, 
you're taking him in second or third, that's a lot more money you're investing with the chance that he's a guy who is not much of a positive impact on your team through three or four years. And then you've thrown $35, $45 million down the drain to an extent. Um, and so I think everyone's kind of philosophy on that differs, but I skew toward the side of not believing that a guy like LaMelo or a guy like Anthony Edwards is capable of quite reaching the level of outcome you need to given the financial investment in, the, in that that top pick. So I'd rather bank on a guy who I know can is scalable to an extent, is going to be a pretty dang good NBA player, even if he's not a top 30 or top, no, sorry, not top 30, even if he kind of levels out as a top 25, top 30 guy rather than top 10 or 12. Yeah, so if you, I mean, if you'll indulge me on this, on a hypothetical, if you were a GM who who has really ironclad uh, job security, like a, a Danny Ainge or an RC Beef, well, I guess RC has been reassigned, but uh, um, if you're if you're one of those few guys that that doesn't have to worry about uh, his job, would you be more? Uh, would you embrace risk more readily in this class? Like, would you would you shoot for a for a, uh, a Lamelo or Edwards, or would you just cut you know cut your losses and, and take one of these guys who who projects to be a bit safer? Yeah, I think that's that's a completely fair point. Um, with guys like that, I if you have the job security and the public relations security among fans, then yeah, I think it's worth it to have to go for that risk. And that's why I have Lamelo and Anthony mm-hmm. Edwards still in that first year because I can't deny that they have higher end outcomes at their peak than than Killian or Inyoko Okongwu. Um, but the the floor they are starting at is so much lower than the road they have to climb. Um, even if it's a, even if that road is longer and has a higher outcome, just feels more improbable. So, but I would agree that yeah, I think if you've kind of got that that safety net um, from your owner and the and the fans and whatnot, and you have a history of success like the Spurs and Celtics do, um, and obviously those are just hypothetical guys. But um, generally speaking, if you have if you have job security, you because you've put together a consistent winner for a long time in some capacity, so. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a hypothetical where, yeah, I would lean toward Limbo and Anthony Edwards over over the safer options. Um, and like I said, that's why I have those guys in the first tier because they're still guys that I would I can see the argument for at number one. There's just marginal differences that I prefer the other guys a little higher. Um, but, like, but, I mean, there's still three and a half months until the draft. I could see a guy called Anthony rising. I could still see Lamelo being number one, Anthony Edwards being number one. So by no means am I... Uh, entirely shut off from from other guys kind of reaching number one. It's just kind of where I'm at at this point in my my evaluation of this class. Yeah, and there are quite a few people who will make the argument against um, Onyeka Okongwu, just that a big in this this modern NBA has to be a certain level of special to be worth that high of a pick, uh, regardless of class. I mean, people will make that argument. So what are your thoughts on that? Is Onyeka Okongwu special enough to meet those requirements? And does it matter? Like in, in a class like this, is it is it okay to take a big who might not have that star level impact of a Jokic or a Towns or something like that, but a big who's likely going to be a very good NBA player? Yeah, I think it goes back to what we've talked about in this little segment is that it doesn't really matter to me because there's no one I feel like I'm missing out on entirely that's going to be a surefire special guy. There's no one, you know, there's not a there's not a insane guard prospect that I'm missing out on that's just been uber productive and has the athletic thresholds. Uh, and I'm missing out on in what I think when I so I, I wrote this scouting report on Congo a week or two ago, and the thing that I kind of came to realize is he is a pretty scalable guy on both ends, which I which I love. Um, obviously, he's not some high level shooting big, but uh, I do have confidence in him developing into somewhat of a credible pick and pop guy. He's already a dominant finisher in the pick and rolls. Defensively, you can run a hard hedge with him. You can drop back. Um, you can have him trap because he's so mobile and he can recover on those types of things. Um, we've seen in recent weeks him be a playmaker in the, the passing lanes. Uh, I think he's averaging over one steal a game, which is really impressive for a guy who plays a lot of center and has a lot of interior defense responsibilities. Um, so for me, I, I just feel confident in both the talent and the way you can use him on both ends to the point that uh, I'm, I don't worry too much about passing on someone uh, who could be special because I don't think the likelihood of a special player being taken ahead of him in my hypothetical board really exists that that much. Yeah, and Onyeka is like a very dominant offensive center at this level and has quite a bit of quite a bit of projection that he can 
carry some of that over to the next level. I mean, he's just incredible on the interior with his with his touch and his strength just to move guys. I think he has he has he has he has like the most dunks out of any freshman this year. He's he's just been so dominant on the roll and on lobs too. And then yeah, like like he's shooting mid seventies from the free throw line seems like a projectable enough spot up pick and pop shooter, like you said. I mean, it's just I, I think the thing with his offensive upside is where's the passing and there's there's definitely been moments where he's had been good there and I think he's gotten better over the season at least a little bit I don't know I don't know if you agree with that but offensively it's just like without maybe a handle or like pull-up shooting just to reach the the level of like the highest impact big some is the offensive ceiling capped there I mean yeah I think to an extent if he's not going to be someone who you can completely funnel offensive offensive game plan through. I think the language I used in my scouting report was kind of like a secondary offensive hub. Um, he's not a guy you want to rely on to run your entire offense through. Um, and I, I would say his offense or his passing has improved a little bit. Uh, we've had a couple of short roll type things. I think there was one against Utah a couple weeks back. There was one against Arizona maybe a month ago or so. Um, but for the most part, he can be kind of get the blinders on. And then he has that weak side skip pass down. But it feels like to me one of the it's a premeditated play. Like he, someone has told him that if they double that side, will be open. And a lot of times that's the pass he's making. It's resulted in some turnovers at times. Um, but I think the key for him there is if he can if he can moderately carry over the post up dominance, he's going to command a lot of gravity in, in there. And he's he's gotten better and more willing to just the simple kickout passes. So um, if you can load up a strong side shooter to make the entry pass and they double. Uh, he should be pretty good there. I've liked that improvement specifically. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, I do understand the kind of the pushback you're offering. I think it's valid. Again, I just don't see a, a lot of guards in this class that even I could say I can run offense through. You know, a guy like Cole Anthony, great pull-up shooter, but the burst it just isn't there to get to the rim, and he struggled so much finishing. Granted, some of that is team context-dependent, but um, he doesn't have the rim pressure, and he's also been a, a shaky decision-maker at times this year. Um, you look at like Kyra Lewis, who probably doesn't quite have the pull-up shooting equity, um, given his speed, to really command gravity at the rim and from three, because teams are going to load off him a little bit and let him let him shoot at times. Um, and then Killian Hayes similarly has improved his burst and has changed direction this year, as the two of you talked about last week on your pod. But again, just probably not quite an insane pull-up shooter like a Harden or a Steph or a Dame. And obviously those are really high markers trying to get to, but those are kind of maybe three of the guards that you can really run an offense through and, and found in a high-level offense around given uh, kind of league average talent around those guys. Yeah, the thing that I wonder about that I think we're kind of dancing around is um, it's something that we talked about last week, how how intelligence and decision-making are such foundational elements for a, for a star or really any player. Um, and it was something I mentioned with, uh, with respect to Isaiah Stewart, but I think it applies to Onyeka that – I wonder about his general basketball intelligence level. Like when he does have these flash plays, like you mentioned, he he'll make these anticipatory defensive plays. There was one in, in a recent game. I forget which one it was, but he, he, um he got a jump on a pass and then led the break and it was incredible and like fantastic anticipation. Um, but he's, he does make bad decisions still defensively and very much so offensively. And I think that was the case in, in high school and AAU too. So I'm, I think he's like fine in this department, but from a modern big, especially offensively, you need snappy decisions. You need them on the move. You like, I, I feel like he's always been a better decision maker when, when he's in the post um, or when he's facing up and he can see everything in front of him. But even then it's been pretty questionable. He doesn't move the ball fast enough out of doubles. So I just, I wonder about, I guess, uh, really achieving high end outcomes. If he's not like pretty special uh, from the intelligence standpoint, I worry that he's, that he covers a bit with physical tools just because he is, he's so special getting off the ground incredibly quickly. He's pretty long. Uh, he's an incredible mover. Uh, he's got great footwork. Like, all of these things I, I worry do cover a bit for for a guy who who maybe isn't up to the top level uh, intellectually. Yeah, and yeah, uh, I, oh, you go Ben. Sorry. All right, so yeah, um, last week Max and I uh, piggybacking off that point talked about 
like talking about paths to upside in this class, uh, we made the point of is it more likely for Denny to develop a pull-up or for Anthony Edwards to reign in his decision-making? And I think that's something to consider when you're thinking about drafting Onyeka Kongwu in the top five or two or three or whatever. Is, is it, it seems like we kind of know what Onyeka Kongwu is going to look like um, at least to some, at least to some, to some extent, um, most of his most of his um, upside comes from just degree levels of of goodness of of shooting, of passing, things like that. But so, is it what is the likelihood of that compared to the likelihood of say, like I said, Anthony Edwards um, reigning in his decision making or Lamelo Ball uh, greatly improving greatly improving his strength? I mean, and how high does that likelihood have to be, um, or I guess how low does it have to be to really avoid those guys instead of taking instead of taking a guy like Onyeka Kongu because I mean I think it definitely does depend on team like we said I mean, like like a team like the Pistons I would say I'm mean, there's really like if you think there's any likelihood of a guy like Lamelo or Anthony Edwards hitting that high high-end outcome I don't think it's worth taking a guy who's not going to hit like Onyeka but like it's all about weighing weighing how likely that that um that outside really is yeah and I so I think Max talked about kind of him being a happy decision maker out of the post. I would say I've been encouraged since kind of the start of the new year, maybe or maybe the first game I saw him improve against those doubles, I thought was the Oregon State game in Corvallis in maybe January or early February. Um, so I have seen improvements there, which gives me some hope. Uh, and then also I, I think the post struggles I am less concerned about because I think most of his individual creation upside will come from face-ups if he does hit his offensive upside because he is – he doesn't have a great great upper body in terms of strength, and he is 6'9 as a center. Um, I think he'll be kind of a post-up guy at times, but I would buy most of his self-creation working from those elbows and kind of the baseline and attacking face-ups like that. So I, I, I understand the criticism, and I would say in general the IQ worry is probably my biggest concern, even more than the size. I think his quick leaping is going to be able to compensate for some of the size deficiencies there and lower body strength as well. Um, but similarly, if we're talking about decision-making, I mean, he has a lot better decision-making than even Anthony Edwards. And Anthony Edwards, obviously, more talent, more scoring upside. So I think if we're weighing that, at least, I think Anthony Edwards has a longer way to go in terms of being an offensive perimeter centerpiece decision-making-wise than Okongwu do, does. And I buy him more as a scalable player, as a pick-and-roll guy, you know, doing his thing defensively with his athletic tools and kind of ending some of that end. Um, so I understand the criticisms. I just think that, the the guy that we're kind of the guy that I know Max you really like Anthony Edwards and Ben obviously you're fairly high on him as well I just struggle to I've seen so many boneheaded plays as an offensive centerpiece for me to really buy into that if we're talking decision making and kind of general uh, IQ as an offensive uh, hub I guess yeah I definitely yeah, I mean, agree. Oh, go go Max. yeah I mean I'll I'll defend Edwards a little bit I think the fruit is just it hangs very low for him. Uh, because I like I, I I don't entirely view him as an offensive centerpiece. I think that you do want someone else running the show uh, alongside him, uh, and then you can really unlock him as a scorer off the ball, and and he'll play on the ball some. But but I think the fruit is really low hanging for him as a creator, just because his scoring gravity is immense, and you see it on occasion when he just decides to actually capitalize on the fact that you know, everyone on the opposing team locks in on him. It's just like strong side kickouts and guys are wide open. It's so easy. Um, so that's why I think that for Ant to create, it's just a much lower bar. Like it's so, so easy for him. Whereas Onyeka, I think it'll be a little tougher. Yeah, and I think Anthony Edwards' scalability does get kind of underrated because he, like the one thing that he's consistently done well this this year, when we talked about it last week, is that he is quite good off the ball. I mean, Besides just timing his cuts and using his has using his athleticism to get behind the defense and score when he's there, he's quite good attacking off the catch. And I think that's where his passing might be at its best too. Because I I recently just watched the Florida game from last night, and he attacked off the ball quite a bit in that game. And the passing was really good there. I mean, he had a play where he where he, I think he had multiple plays where he maybe would help would step up because you got to step up when Anthony Edwards is running at you, and he'll drop it off. Uh, with a bounce pass or something like that, and he had one play where he like he just blew by Keontae Johnson and had a huge um, one-handed dunk. So, I mean, believe believing in the spot-up shooting, which he seems like he's going to shoot spot-ups at this point. I mean, the free throw percentage is good enough, and the volume is certainly there. It seems like he's going to be te- more than tenable there. I mean, he's going to be a guy who, assuming he's willing to, he can definitely play off the ball and scale a little better if he's not that 
high-end primary guy that his his physical tool suggests he definitely could be. Yeah, I mean, I'd point to the South Carolina game uh, that, that he just played where he was creating space for himself off the ball in a, in a way that's very unique because uh, he's such a good cutter. It's the threat of this cut that guys are terrified of him like sneaking back door, and he's so powerful that he just plants, and you're totally lost. And then he's open on the perimeter for a jumper to attack when you're, when you're scrambling back. Um, so, I, I mean, I just I love his potential as a, as a guy to, to score while playing off the ball. I mean, should should we bring this back to um, to a Kongwu though? Uh, and and yeah. So from a decision making standpoint, I definitely have concerns. I think Jax is also uh, a bit higher on on his face up scoring potential, which I I do get to an extent. He is very coordinated with the ball, but I I, I don't think I've seen like really advanced dribble moves for him right anything along those lines i mean is, is that something you see you see coming jacks i think i think his foundation of ball handling is good enough and I, I i think it'll be even more i think what what i really like is his quick first step for a big um there was one play i watched i was watching the washington state game uh from either december or early january and he had a couple of just viciously quick steps from the baseline where he was Torching his man, and granted, I think his defender was Jeff Pollard, who wasn't any type of NBA level athlete or, or big man, but um, just that quick first step. And I think he's his dribble is low enough to the point where I think he kind of understands how to combine the quickness to maybe ma- to maybe compensate for not a great handle in terms of crossovers or bends or things like that. Um, and so I, I just buy it enough. I understand that's a, I, the handle. Yeah, I don't think it's it's great overall. It's not it's not like a bam at a bio level handle, and people kind of comp those guys a lot. Um, but but I, I have enough confidence in conjunction with his quick jumping and that that really quick first step that I, that I think he'll be at least able to leverage himself as an individual scorer against against most matchups. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at. And I, and I think all the criticisms both of you, primarily Max, have offered are, are valid. I just buy a lot of what he's able to do and like the potential uh, of a player who fills a lot of different gaps on both ends and has some self-creation upside that we don't necessarily think of with a, with a guy who's a rim runner uh, traditionally. Yeah, and I will, I will say, if, if he can find his way to the rim, I think I do trust him as a... Like, the, the length concern is real, that you know maybe NBA length will hamper him, but people said that about Brandon Clark, and that hasn't been a problem. And and Onyeka does not have the top end vertical that Clark does, but it's the same sort of just effortless leaping that he gets off the ground so quickly. And I think that these guys who know how to maneuver on the interior have pretty translatable interior scoring, and I think that's very much the case for Onyeka, where you'll see it in the in the post. He has I, I'd say very good footwork. Um, but you see it in, in unstructured situations too, where he'll get an offensive rebound and he just seems to have some, some like preternatural sense for just how to maneuver on the interior, a great just feel for, for where to put his feet. And I think that, um, that he's just, he's a guy that knows how to maneuver in like in contested areas and will be able to create angles for himself to use, you know, his tremendous touch with both hands. I mean, it like, it really is. It's it's hard to tell when he's working on the interior if he's a lefty or a righty because it, he's just so good with both hands. Yeah, and that, like I said, th- that touch with both hands is just ridiculous. I mean, it seems like he's probably going to shoot for that reason. I mean, I, I, it seems hard for me to buy that he won't be at least like a passable spot up shooter, which is definitely like a very important consideration here. That if he can just like hit pick and pops, hit, hit pick and pop threes, um, just like if he can space, that's that's so big for his upside. I mean, just just having having in conjunction with his ability, he's going to have the score at the rim. I mean, just being able to space like that is going to be huge for him. So. Yeah, I would say for me, like I am more confident in him being a pretty good shooter for his own scoring upside than I am him really, really commanding significant respect, which maybe is working against my own argument here. But he does have a little bit of a slow release, and he kind of brings the ball out for his face. Um, but I don't think it's something that necessarily hinders him from an ability to make threes. It might be something where defenses aren't as quick to close out. Um, but if we're, t- we're already talking kind of these high out, high end outcomes, I'm not ruling it out of the realm of possibility. And if teams do close out on, we saw that one play against Arizona that pretty much any, any guy who's tuned in to, to the draft has seen where he 
Euro stepped around two or three or whatever defenders it was. Um, so if he's able to put the ball on the floor at all and kind of make plays and, and kind of translate that maybe somewhat growth in short role playmaking, then you're talking about a guy that can really do some damage offensively. Um, and I think that's kind of the place you would reach if he would reach if he, if he ascends to his 80th, 90th, 100th percentile out, outcome, which a lot of what is what we've, we've talked about so far. Yeah, and Jax was, was mentioning earlier his, his scalability. And I, I guess this is this is more a versatility thing. Uh, and we mentioned that that he can he can survive in a lot of different pick and roll coverages. And I think that's really important because you see in the, in the league uh, nowadays, it's it really is a game of counters. And so if you have Onyeka in a drop, and he's he's great at that. Like I think he's a really good drop pick and roll defender. Um, and you start to play against a a, a pull up guard. You don't need to bench Onyeka Okongwu when that happens. You can start switching. You can start hedging. You can do whatever because he's mobile. He is big. He is quick off the ground. Like he can he can survive or not survive. He can thrive in in a wide array of coverages. And I think that will just make life very easy on on whoever is coaching him. Yeah, defensive um, just defense in general for Onyeka is far from a worry of mine. I mean, like you said, that versatility, his feet. His feet and his just his hip turns, changing directions with guards are just so good. I think in the Marquette game earlier in the year, there was a play where he went under like two screens and stayed with Marcus Howard and blocked his. I don't know if it was Marcus Howard, but and like blocked his floater. I mean, he's just ridiculously quick for a guy at his size, and he's so nimble, uh, moving north south and drop defense. So I think really is an advantage for him. I mean, he can he can track back and break up lobs as well as he can step up to stop pull up shooters and. Like you said, I think he's he's just going to be so so insertable into any defensive system a guy wants to run. I mean, you don't want to play him at the four, cause, but I think if you had to in a pinch, he could even make that work too. I mean, I mean he's got that level of mobility that he's going to be able to stick with some guys in a softer, less like less res- I guess le- a defense where he's less responsible for guarding on the perimeter. So yeah, and I think, I think oh, you go ahead, one Harrison. of the things that. It's really impressive for me is, you know, a lot of times we talk about team context. You know, a guy like Anthony Edwards, George is not very good. UNC, Colonthian, they're not very good. But like, USC is not a very good team, and he is still incredibly dominant. And that's more of a, a broad idea, but I think there is some general validity to the idea. He's been so productive for a freshman big man, and he does, like, doesn't really have anyone who's a pretty good pick-and-roll player. Ethan Anderson's okay, but I think his decision-making isn't anywhere close to what you'd want from a lead guard. And then there's like games where they just, or sequences and games where they just kind of forget about him in the post. Like they'll lose games because they don't throw him the ball in the post for six straight possessions. Um, and so that generally, his, able, his ability to thrive despite a suboptimal team contact is something that's really impressed me and put up pretty historic numbers in terms of his, his BPM and things like that and just be so efficient and average 16 and 9 and 2 and 1 or whatever. It really impressed me. That's just kind of a broad thing, but it still carries a little bit of weight for me in terms of how I evaluate him as an overall player. Well, I think the production is important, though, and and some of it stems from motor. He is a really, really good motor, and he probably doesn't get enough credit for it because of like his posture is very, um, I don't know, it's not it's not imposing. It doesn't really look like he's he's always a hundred percent engaged. And I think that that was something that kind of fooled me watching him in high school in AAU, where where it seemed like he didn't always care because of just like how he physically carries himself. But I don't think that was the case. I think that that was, that was an aesthetic bias there um, where this guy actually plays incredibly hard. Like he's a beast on the offensive glass. Uh, he's, he just is a guy who tries really, really hard. And for big men, I mean, that matters a ton. Yeah. I mean, he's going to, yeah, he, he, like you said, he's not a guy who's going to, I mean, he has mental lapses. I mean, he, he's definitely not perfect in his pick and roll positioning. And he has like a few, uh, like yeah, like I think we said. I think um, he's not that. He's an instinctual rim protector, but he's not as elite as he might seem, just because his he's so incredibly quick off the ground, and he just covers so much ground as a rim protector. But yeah, he he really tries, and he he flies across the across the interior, and he he is gonna he his that motor is really good. Yeah, I mean. We've addressed Onyeka in, in pretty solid depth. Uh, should should we move on to um to the guys that have that have caught our eye recently? 
Yeah, I think so. And before we do that, let me just say that we are again sponsored by Simply Safe. Go to simplysafe.com/team today and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com/team. That is simply that is simplysafe.com/team. So all right, now yeah, let's move on to some guys that have been catching their eye lately on film. So Max, why don't you go first? Okay, um, so I finally watched some Mountain West Conference recently, and I feel like an idiot for not watching it earlier because Mountain West basketball apparently is awesome. Um, I guess I'll start with um, I'll start with the Boise State guys. Uh, so my uh, the reason I, I wanted to watch Boise State was uh, Derek Alston, who was showing up in lots of stats queries and. He's a 6'9 or 6'8 forward who can theoretically dribble, pass, and shoot. Um, but the guy that popped to me when I was watching Boise State was Justinian Jessup, who's a senior listed at 6'7. There is no way in hell that that man is 6'7. Uh, probably like a 6'5, 6'6, super skinny off guard. But my lord, he can shoot. Um, just gorgeous lefty mechanics, super compact and quick. Uh, but what's interesting is he, he's got some ancillary skills to him. Uh, he can create some space off the dribble. He can like string together uh, through the legs and the step back and make some guys look really silly. Uh, he can pass a little bit out of pick and roll. Not wild about his decisions, but he's not going to be doing that in the NBA. And just as a guy who who can be trusted to to make decisions, uh, you know, attacking closeouts and whatnot, uh, I think he he can be good in that role. Uh, like I mentioned, it physically, it's it's bad. Uh, he's a senior. He's really skinny. He's incredibly slow. Uh, I don't know about wingspan. But, uh, I mean, in spite of that, he's a pretty competent college defender, I would say. Uh, like, it will be a problem in the NBA. But uh, he is smart. He he knows he knows what he's doing. He beats guys to spots. Like, he, he's fine uh, in college. Uh, that There's no way that translates. He also, for a senior, is... Um, He's pretty young. He he's twenty one until till the end of May, I think. Uh, and just I, I think that there might be an element potentially of low hanging fruit with him uh, with respect to the strength because Boise State seems to have a lot of these older guys that are still really physically underdeveloped, and maybe that's just selection bias that their their recruits are are you know lesser. Uh, lesser physically and and aren't capable of adding that mass but i do wonder if you get him into an nba strength and conditioning program if he's a guy who can bulk up uh to the point where you can make use of this just like ridiculous off-screen shooting and off the dribble shooting because uh you know he's got he's got some size he's got some ancillary skills and he's got ridiculous shooting and that that is a very very valuable common uh combination in the nba yeah, and you mentioned Derek Alston as the pass dribble shoot guy. Well, I, the real pass dribble shoot guy is Jessup. I mean, yeah. Alston can't really shoot, and he and he's a, a fine passer, but he's got quite a few limitations there. But as as Jessup's got got all three for sure. And you mentioned that you didn't love his decision making. I was actually pretty high, um, a little bit higher on his decision making. It seems like than you, um, especially in the Boise State at Utah State game. I know you watched the other Boise State-Utah State game. Mm-hmm. At least in that one, um, his decision-making was pretty great. Um, there was a play that stood out to me. There was, I think, two seconds left on the clock. He was double-teamed, and he and he passed back for a wide-open three that the guy didn't shoot for whatever reason. But he, he really did seem to hunt the right shot, and which is funny because a lot of the time, the best shot they're going to get is just Jessup shooting because of how incredible a shooter he is. I mean, also, like... I wanted to ask you about what you think about his his free throw jump because he's at ninety five percent this year, which is <laughs> wild. But in his th- first three seasons of college, he didn't eclipse eighty uh, percent once. So, what do you make of that? I mean, he the shooting seems very very legit on tape. So, I don't think he's worried about that. But what do you make about such a drastic free throw percentage jump like that? Yeah, I mean, I'd definitely be skeptical. The thing is, he's always just been a very low free throw attempt guy, and I I mean just watching that shot it's gorgeous it seems like he's a bit of a of a streak shooter but i mean i trust those mechanics they're really pretty um 
And it's funny that you mentioned that, that he was good out of traps because the, one of the things that I noticed was that he was, I have in my notes a couple times that he was trapped and it was just like truly horrific, like threw the ball directly to the other team. It's really funny. Just It shows you, the, you know, your sample of games drastically affects your your uh, impression of a guy. This is why we watch games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I've, I've seen a little bit of Jessup. I would note you say you talk about the free throw thing. The fact that he's up to 95% got his career percentage over 82 uh, and so he was at 41 from 382 from the free throw line. That's a guy who was just given his mechanics to as a guy who's going to shoot. So like Max said, really small sample, but it's just over like 100 career attempts going into his senior year. Now he's up over 82% for his career. So in conjunction with the three percentage of the mechanic, that's a guy who's just wherever he ends up in the league, uh, in whatever league he ends up, that's a guy who's going to be a, a really good shooter. So yeah, I, have uh, I, I wouldn't really worry about no it. No doubt that Jessup's going to shoot, I, th- I think at least. Should should we give Alston a bit more uh, time than just saying that we don't like him? I mean, yeah, I, I I saw someone on Twitter. I can't remember who it was. Was like saw that they bought him over Jaden McDaniels, and as it was it was it was Francis. Uh, it was been thrifty suggesting that maybe that you could make the case, yeah. which I I disagree right, with. Yeah, Francis, pretty strongly. Great, smart guy. Do very disagree. As I mean, as much as I think all three of us are on the anti-Jaden train, but at least Jaden is bigger. It was just saying something, and he's probably <laughs> yeah. a better defender. I mean, when Jaden's oh, bigger than you, yeah, definitely for sure a better defender. I mean, when Jaden's bigger than you, you you know you've got an issue. And I just often <laughs> he's just so skinny, and the awareness is so poor on defense. Like I just he he seems totally untenable to me there. I mean, you mentioned the the strength and conditioning, but that, I mean that's not something I'm willing to bet on with anything more than like a a, a like a two way flyer for him. I mean. Yeah, I mean his his awareness is like Rui esque at times, where he'll just he'll watch guys just go right by him to the rim. Uh, I I would like at, at very first when I when I tuned in, I was like, okay, this guy is six nine and handling handling and pick and roll like this. This is pretty interesting. Um, but the more I watched, the, the more I was out on him. Um, like what what I will say for the for the passing is he does have these. He'll run pick and roll and he'll he'll dime up the weak side or he'll hit like a lifting shooter on the wing. And it looks really impressive, but I'm a little suspicious that these are uh, was something that Jackson was, was talking about a little earlier where they're, they're like drilled in. I went Ben and I were talking uh, before the show and I called them learned reads where someone just tells you, you, you know, you do X and the corner is going to be open and just throw it over there. And you don't really need to like check or, or manipulate or anything like that. And I think that's becoming increasingly common. Uh, and I had a couple clips up up on Twitter of of Alston uh, making some pretty impressive pick and roll passes, but at least like one of them was very clearly scripted, where there was there was Jessup coming off of a, a pin down on the weak side, and he was clearly supposed to hit him hit him lifting to the wing. Um, so I think that his passing is a little fake. Uh, like there's some functionality there, but uh, I don't I don't entirely buy it as like some out some some outlier skill. And I feel like the the lack of functionality also applies to his dribbling because he can actually create space off the dribble uh, like in some at sometimes like in a really impressive manner, but uh, he can't do anything with it. His shot is too slow. And I mean, for that matter, I don't buy the shot at all. It's like set like way behind his head and uh, is really just like a slingshot with his arms. So he's a theoretical dribble pass shoot guy who I'm not entirely sure can do any of the three. Um, so he, you know, he, he might be a guy worth taking a look at. There are not a lot of guys who are six, eight, six, nine and can sort of dribble, sort of pass and sort of shoot. Um, but to me, there are just a lot of guys who are, who are better bets in this. Yeah, class. And I'll make, I'll make one more quick point on the passing. I think both of us, um, like we watched Max and I at least watched three games in total. I don't know. You can comment on this Jackson. I don't think either of us have ever seen him hit the role in the pick and roll. I think that's just another point for the scripted reads case that he's just not instinctual of a pick and roll passer. I think he's, it's probably something that's been drilled in practice and he's practiced these same reads over and over. And he's probably watches film on these coverages. That's going to have, that's going to get these guys like Jessup open on the weak side. And even like, even when he does hit skips, a lot of the time, the, the, the processing speed is pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure if you've seen any roll hits from him, Jackson, but. No, I, I mean, I, I have, I can't like nothing comes to mind. So I'm sure I've maybe one or two, but um, and I've only watched maybe a couple of Boise State games this year. 
um, just enough to kind of familiar, familiarize myself with, with uh, Alston and, and Jessup. But um, yeah, I would agree that a lot of stuff, the, the, front, the language I use is just premeditated, just kind of for those reads. Um, yeah, there'll be times where like the shooter won't quite open and he'll make that read and you're like, well, the roll man, like if you like looked at the roll man, you would have had an easy layup um, and things like that. So yeah, I, I would agree with most of your points. Um, I don't really have any other nuance to add, but yeah, I mean, he, he isn't even as functionally strong as Jaden McDaniels and he is a junior and Jaden McDaniels is a freshman who can't get past or post up six, four guards. Um, the thing that I, I wonder is if Yudoka as a bouquet with standing in the paint and Jaden McDaniels and Derek Alston ran as fast as they could together, could they knock him over? Is the thing that comes to mind for me. Um, and I'm just not sure either one of them could. So uh, that just speaks to the lack of functional strength. Yeah, yeah, they they run together. They try yeah. and push him over. God. I don't think they could do it. I think they they, they if they made contact with Azubuki at the same time, nothing would happen. That should be a combine drill. Can you knock over Yudoka <laughs> Azubuki? I think they yeah. would have to be cleaned up off of the court. <laughs> <laughs> and they're no longer prospects because they're treated the the ICU. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's just like really smart, elite shooter, uh, like pretty shifty. Um, yeah, he's, he's just a really good player. Uh, I'm pretty confident in him as like an NBA backup point guard. And like Ben and I mentioned on the first podcast, we're not, you know, super in on on those guys as having a ton of value in the draft. Uh, and I don't know that I'd that I'd necessarily draft Flynn, but um, he's really good. And uh, size will be a problem. He, he just won the the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year, which is. You know, nonsense uh, as ridiculous. a 6-1 point guard. Uh, but he, he, like Nico, kind of beats guys to spots. He um, he makes plays off the ball. He's uh, pretty he's, smart he's really, ball, Yeah, I mean, he's really calculated. I remember this this one play where where he just he like read where the defenders were and that a spin was going to have to be coming from Alston and then just picked his handle and ran it out for a layup, and it was, it was spectacular. Um, oh, and how could I forget his, his runner game is like best in college basketball. It's so, so good. His touch is amazing and he's really crafty with it. Like there was this one, this one clip that I had from, uh, I think Fresno state game where he, he, he dips his shoulder and he, he knocks the guy back and the guy is off balance and can't jump. And he, he you know does that in conjunction with taking off and there's just no way to contest his, his runner, even though he's six one and it's an, it's an easy two for him. Uh, he's highly efficient on those on a good volume. Uh, so yeah, I, I think he's going to work in the league as a as a backup point guard, and and uh, just also just enjoy watching him play. He's just a really really fun guy to watch play basketball. Yeah, and Mel yeah, I, I, he's a joy. Uh, yeah, I don't have, I don't much on that. I think you hit a lot of it, but yeah, really good passer. Um, the shooting indicators are awesome. Uh, really good pull up shooter. I I think that you talk about kind of the spin move. I was watching the Utah State game last night, and there was a move where uh, Nemius Keda tried to like, he, who obviously is a very slow mover and processor, but um, like spun and Flynn just timed the, the rotation perfectly and snagged the steal and went down and had a pull up three. Um, so yeah, he's been really fun to watch this year. And, and I would agree that, yeah, I, I, I buy a lot of his just being a good solid ball handler. You can trust um, he has a three to one assist to turnover ratio this year. Um, that bears out on film too. It's not like he's, and he, he takes risky passes too. It's not like he's just, making the simple passes and trying to preserve his, his numbers or anything. Um, so yeah, I've been really impressed with him. And um, I think the burst is probably good enough in certain cases to get to the rim. I, I don't think it's anything exquisite. You guys talked about Tyler Terry last, Tyrell Terry last week, talk about Nico Manuel a little bit. I think it's definitely better than both of those guys. So I, at least, I at least envision having some pick and roll diversity. It's not just going to be a guy who relies entirely on the pull up or hitting the, hitting the roll of man of the weak side shooter. He's going to be able to get to the rim a little bit, um, yeah. pick and roll, which is valuable. Yeah, and I think he's, like, to make up for that burst, he's really technically pretty great as a driver. He gets super low to the ground on his crossover. He's great at using his shoulder to kind of leverage guys and get by them and get to his spots. And, he, I mean, as long as he can get to that runner, like you said, he's he's so good with that runner. I mean, he's shooting um forty he's shooting 44.2% on 43 runners, so not a small sample. Quite good, and like you said, the touch. And, like, he's got legit deep range too i don't think that's been mentioned he hit like a couple catch and shoot threes at 30 or so feet in the game in the one game i watched so yeah I, he seems super super viable as a backup point guard it's just i'm not sure i really buy him as much more than that and i guess that's why i'd probably be lower on him my like kind of crazy 
Galaxy Brain take is I think I'd I think I'd rather have Matt Mitchell as a long term prospect um, than Malachi Flynn. I don't know what you think about that. He's a funky guy. I don't. He's just like kind of weird, and uh, he can kind of hit those little like mid range step backs, and he's strong enough as a driver. Um, I don't have a great feel for his defense yet, for whatever reason, um, which doesn't quite really pop negatively or positively for me. But uh, yeah, Matt Mitchell is definitely interesting to an extent. But the one thing I will add about Flynn is even though he's six one, I do kind of like his frame. I feel like he has pretty wide shoulders. I feel like he uses his like that that width up top to at least kind of get to his spots at times against guys who maybe will kind of stay in front of him. Um, but yeah, just going back to Mitchell, he's he's funky. I don't have a ton to add other than kind of a, like a step back in this game, even though he's kind of unorthodox with it, but can dribble well enough at his size that um, enough to be intrigued and continue watching uh, and following him specifically as I, as I watch uh, Flynn and San Diego State the rest of the, the rest of the year and up until the draft. Yeah, I'll say I agree on the frame point. He's definitely pretty sturdy is the word I'd say. And I think yeah, that helps him on good. his drives too. I mean, comparing him to a guy like Terry, who I don't know if I agree that like from a slick like, catch, I think Terry's burst is pretty comparable, but he's so weak in the lower body that he just gets knocked off the ball and knocked off his path by guys. Where Malachi's got, got the lower body strength that kind of holds up and he's bumped. So I think that's a big part of his driving game. And yeah, um, Matt Mitchell, I mean, he's he's so he's so funny. Like, Jokingly, you said in in the pre-recording that he's like if you gave PJ Tucker like a pull-up, but I mean, he's he, I, that's obviously not. Yeah, just not, just frame-wise for anyone yeah, who's yeah, not actually yeah. <laughs> team defense-wise. Not nearly like as good as PJ Tucker. Don't worry, but yeah, I mean, he's just like with his. I mean, he moves really well, and even though he's pretty pudgy, and we love our fat upside guys. I mean, if he can turn some of that turn some of that pudge into legit muscle. That's athletic improvement. I like this passing. So when I watched his handling coordination, in the open floor was really good. He brought up the ball very often, but whenever he got into a tight space, he turned the ball over. I think he must have had like five ball. Yeah. Controls can be a little, little uh, jealous. Yeah. Um, long term, Matt Mitchell is a guy to watch. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the- interested because he's at 40% from three this year and 86% of the line. So, so when he comes back, it'll be interesting to see if that's actually sustainable if he kind of, falls back to his median of 36 and 80 from three-point range and from the line. Yeah, and he is, despite being, I mean, he is he is quite pudgy. Um, but despite that, he's really nimble. Like, he he's light on his feet. He moves well. So I do wonder if, if he could ever get the weight under control. Uh, it, it is interesting to think what he could be, especially if he can harness that into strength. Because, I mean, he's, already, he's really, like, strong right now. Like, he'll dislodge guys on drives. Um, I'm interested long term. This year, I think Flynn is definitely a better prospect. Yeah, and I think long term, I'd still, I'd still take Flynn because I, I do, I do think Flynn is going to be a player in the league. Um, but yeah, Mitchell, he's he's an intriguing long term guy for sure. And we should say long term is just 2021 because he is a junior, yes. so yeah, <laughs> so it's it, not that long. It's just 15 months away or whatever. But yeah, still, I mean, long term in this in the sense we're talking about. All right, so why don't we move on to Jackson? Is there a guy that you would like to share that you've been watching recently that you want to talk about? Yeah, the the guy that I've been a fan of for probably a few months now, and I know I'm not the first Olympic wagon or anything, is uh, TCU senior guard Desmond Bain. Um, the easiest way to, before I dive in is just a really really good basketball player. Um, he's in his senior year, like I said, forty three percent from three uh, for his career, eighty percent from the line. Uh, he has a three point rate of uh, let me grab it here of uh, 43%, almost 44%. So he's shooting a lot of them, and he's an all, he's doing a lot of stuff on the ball, so you know he's not necessarily – he has a pretty good shot profile there. Um, really good uh, pick-and-roll power, a lot of craft there, can make the weak side skips because um, he's a really strong player, so he's able to kind of rifle those passes across the, the court. Um, and maybe the first couple of games I watched, I thought some of it was premeditated. Like I thought – we've talked about that a lot today, but I thought he kind of just expected plays to be open. But – um, in some recent games, I've seen some more nuance and understanding. There was a play uh, I was watching this morning, the game uh, against Kansas on Tuesday, and uh, he made a pick and roll going right. Devon Dotson uh, crashed down the tag of the roller, and the way he, the way Bain, like he put his arm angle at this this spot that may, would make it seem like he's going to throw a really far pass across the court, and so Dotson started retreating back to the shooter, his man. And then Bain just drops off the roller and it was an easy dunk or layup or something, uh, which to me was just really impressive because for a while I maybe kind of thought, like I said, a lot of it was just kind of learned plays. Um, but that type of thing, to put his arm at this angle that would suggest he's going to throw one pass to trick a smart off-ball and team defender like Devon Dotson the way he did really stood out to me. So 
Bain's a guy I buy as a secondary ball handler um, because he can make those passes. He's a really good pick and roll guy. Uh, ranks in the 93rd percentile as an off the dribble shooter this year, according to Synergy. He's at 43% from three for his career um, in four years. Um, is pretty slow as a player and can't really jump and is very right hand dominant. Um, but he does so many things well as an off the dribble shooter and so good at kind of getting craft, being crafty and getting open off the dribble. Um, and has fairly solid off screens and off movement as well that I buy him as a guy I have uh, ranked 20th on my board. Um, and so I understand the flaws, but I mean, if he could get to the room and finish there better, um, he's a guy we talking about as a potential lottery, given his potential lottery pick, given his baseline skill set as a, as a scorer and passer. Yeah. And I'll say I, I have been a bit lower on his overall decision-making and the passing. I haven't seen as much of that, but I will defer to the numbers. I mean, plus assist to turn your plus one um, ATO every year, 1.7 this year. And I'll definitely defer to you guys who've watched more. I mean, definitely those flashes of pick and roll potency are there. And he's just such a ridiculous shooter. I mean, he's a uh, 93rd percentile in off 93rd percentile in off triple jumpers per synergy. I mean, he's got, he's got deep off movements. He, I'm not crazy about his handle, but he's a pretty good space creator and he's just an absolute truck. I mean, he's, he's thick as hell. He's huge. And, yeah, you I talk about the, the space creation. The handle isn't great, but he has such good lower body strength. He's able to create separation with his lower body on those step backs and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think the decision making is a fair point. That's there's a lot. I mean, I've watched a lot of Bane release Bane recently, so there's a lot of thoughts swirling in my head. But the decision making is something that I do think uh, is probably closer to a flaw than it is a, a as a than a pro uh, or a strength. Kind of kind of right in the middle there for me. Um, but yeah, he can kind of trapped at times, uh, jumping in the air. Or, or get into a weird spots in the lane um, because he doesn't have a lot of burst. Um, but but yeah, he's just a guy I've been a really big fan of, and a guy who is an M, probably about an NBA caliber athlete, especially strength wise. Um, I think that's going to help him a lot. And is a forty three percent three point shooter and a solid enough team defender is someone that I want to invest in uh, in the mid twenties or so. Uh, Twenty would kind of be. I think he's in my fourth tier, which goes as high as like sixteen or seventeen. Um, I don't recall exactly off the top of my head, but. Just a guy that I, that I buy into, and his BPM is uh, around Bartorvik at 9 on Polygraph's references at 10. So a guy who's making an impact, too, which I think is always important, especially as a senior. Yeah, I, I think Bain is is awesome. Uh, I'm a very big fan, primarily because he is – like, he really is a lethal shooter. Like, I, I that cannot be stressed enough off the dribble, off movement. 6'6", six, uh, six, too, we should know. 6'6". Six, six, yeah, yeah. yeah. I will say I don't think the strength is as functional as it looks. You know, he's not a guy that's dominant around the rim. You know, he's not Isaac Okoro, like dislodging guys at the rim and finishing like a beast. Um, so I think that that's a little deceptive when you just look at him. He doesn't really play how you think uh, when you look at him. Nonetheless, I really like him. I think he's going to be an NBA player. And uh, th- I mean, he's just like he's about as good a shooting bet as there is. Yeah, I will. I will add that. Yeah, so the the strength thing I think is is very much warranted. Uh, yeah, he's a little more aesthetically strong than functionally. But the thing I think he does use his strength well is in those pick and rolls. Even though he's not super quick, he's able to use a screen and get the defender on his hip. And then once he can create any sort sort of shift in the defense, he has those skip passes down and that manipulation down. That's the place I think I see his strength manifest the most on the ball. In addition to those step backs I alluded to earlier. Um, but yeah, it's not, he, I mean, he looks gigantic, but he isn't quite, he's not where he's nowhere nearly as functionally, functionally strong as a guy like Grant Williams. Um, yeah. I mean, are you thinking, can. are you thinking like Carson Edwards style space creation where he can, where he can really just like, especially, well, I mean, guess not, I mean, it, it has been in the mid range mostly where he can, he just like really throws guys off of him with just like, he's just this massive human being and, and it creates space in a, in a weird way that you don't usually see. Yeah. That, that's kind of what I envision. Um, but then I, but the strength I, I think that I'm trying to get at, or the point I'm trying to make about it is I think he has some on ball potential because okay. he is six, six and is able to use that size to kind of hold off defenders, even if he's not super bursty or twitchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, yeah, I mean, I was super high on Carson Edwards hasn't looked well at all this year uh, so far, but obviously Bane is a, uh, a lot taller, um, Very a shorter wingspan, unfortunately, than Carson Edwards. <laughs> yeah. But um, the sheer ability to be taller, and he has a pretty high release point, which I think helps as well. Um, and is pretty succinct in the mechanics. So, um, yeah, a lot to like about Bane. Uh, I understand maybe people have been a little lower, but 
Um, if you're an NBA draft guy and you're an NBA draft person, you're listening to this and haven't watched any of him, he's someone I would definitely recommend because he has a lot of potential as a top 30 guy. Yeah, and one quick last point. Um, you mentioned um, being high on his on-ball because of the strength. I was actually going to make a point of being higher on his off-ball because of his strength because <laughs> I think a, a, like, a lot of his issues of getting to the rim are just not being wild about his burst and his handle because he can't really get to spots where he can use his strength to dislodge guys. But when he's able to run off movement and force hard closeouts and attack that way, he, he's going to be able to get free runs into guys and just be able to use his strength to get into guys that way where he can build up momentum and kind of just plow through guys because there's a, a lot of defenders just aren't able to handle him when he gets there. And that's definitely going to be uh, – yeah, yeah, I think his utility is really going to be as just this this awesome off-ball shooter with um, – some some secondary playmaking or tertiary playmaking equity and who can hopefully finish better than he has in college. So, yeah. Yeah. Right, I'm um, not, yeah, I'm not like, I don't think he's going to be a huge on ball guy, but I think there's enough there. And like, I mean, I have him 20, so I'm not, it's not like I have an 11th and I'm like, Oh, I need him to run the offense a lot. But yeah, I think there's enough there where he can, with the pull up and at least get guys on his hip in pick and roll situations that he can have some type of on ball value. Um, but I would agree that most of his value is going to come off the ball. Um, seems like we all like him, which I think means he's probably like our second range prospect at this point, which is great. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I wanted to talk about Jalen Smith, uh, Maryland sophomore big. And I wanted to talk about him kind of separating himself from the pack of replaceable kind of basic uh, rim runner big types. And that's the thing we talked about, I think, last episode we touched on. And we'll continue to, continue to harp on this in the future. Just just valuing these replaceable uh, big guys who who can maybe protect the rim a bit, uh, rim run. There's just so many of them um, in the undrafted pool on the free agent market. You can go to the EuroLeague and get these guys. So when you're looking at drafting bigs in like the second round, um, if you're going to spend that kind of draft capital on uh, a big man over someone like a wing who like getting wings on team friendly contracts is huge, you wanted to have some sort of special skill. And Jalen Smith has shown that this year. And he's the perimeter skill improvement he's shown this year is pretty wild. I mean, he's 6'10", and he's shown some pretty legit off-movement shooting as well as some ball handling and passing. I mean, he's sprinting off movement to his left and his right and, and hitting threes. And, and there was one play that really stood out against Michigan State I was watching the other day where he um, they ran a blob, and Jalen Smith uh, goes to the corner. Cassius Winston, who's guarding the impounder, I believe it was Cassius, helps. And then Smith just makes a lightning quick decision down to the, the inbounder for a dunk. And, like, I mean, how many 6'10 NBA guys have the movement shooting gravity to force help and make a quick decision out? And I think just that level of primitive school, I mean, he's not like a super dynamic handler, but he's got enough to attack a closeout and, and finish like and finish uh, against a bigger player. And I think just, that's a guy who I want to – take a swing on because there's there's real value there in just a, a guy like that who's a perimeter oriented big i mean th- there's worries with his his his, his, his decision making on offense and some of the defense but i think just that perimeter skill is super valuable with him to take somewhere like early in the second round for me at least yeah i worry a lot about the defense um because he's so weak and it's he's like his hips are so skinny and like he just his, he can't move he's very upright um the one thing that he does do well, like that you wouldn't expect uh, in spite of, of his slender frame, is that he's very good at, at creating leverage, uh, especially defending the post. Like in that Michigan State game, there was this one possession that he just stonewalled uh, Xavier Tillman in the post. And that is one of the strongest dudes in college basketball. It was just kind of eye-popping. But I worry a lot about about Jalen Smith on defense for, for as much as, as he is an intriguing offensive big man. Um. And one thing that you didn't mention that I think he does deserve credit for, and I know Jackson and I have talked about this before, is that he has just like really a good feel for for like soft spots in the defense on offense, where he just he'll he'll dive and and, and cut into 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 space, and he'll just create angles for passes and just quickly finish. Um, and it's I mean it's a hard skill to quantify and and kind of kind of vague, but uh, but he's really good at it. Um, so yeah, I I agree. He's he's pretty interesting offensively. I worry a lot about. What range do you guys each have them in, just so we kind of know where where we're arguing from or debating from? I have Jalen Smith. I have Jalen mid- Smith, um, like high, low thirties. Yeah, um, mid okay. mid forties for me. Okay, yeah, I have him low thirties as well. So I I would lean more toward Ben. 
Um, yeah, the defense, I think, is an issue to an extent. Um, but yeah, I think that the, the shooting is pretty impressive and the feel for the game or, or the feel for just opening, moving the pockets of space, uh, as Max said, I, I think are pretty good. Um, but yeah, I think everything said here is very much warranted. Um, it's just kind of the degrees to which you value his defensive shortcomings versus his shooting upside. Um, it just seems like Max values the, the defense a little more, uh, whereas Ben is, is higher on the, the offense. Um, but yeah, he's definitely intriguing and has been really, really good this year among a, a awesome front court uh, rotation in, in the Big Ten this year. We'll just make Jalen Smith a giant two guard and just see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. I think the Sixers are calling right now. <laughs> just run him off a of 30 pin downs all game and just let him just like... The, J- the J.J. Redick replacement. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out Jalen Smith is the J.J. Redick replacement that we've all been looking... That <laughs> DHOs with Joel Embiid. <laughs> that would be something. But I mean, seriously, like if he... If he's a guy who can even do like have some movement shooting value in the NBA, I mean, just guys that tall who shoot off movement just are super rare. I mean, just don't you just don't find them. So just just a guy who's shown that, and a guy who has that upside to be like a potential like legit perimeter guy as as a big. I mean, despite defensive concerns at all, I think is someone worth gambling on somewhere in the second round because he really does provide uh, avenues to upside beyond just a replaceable room rolling big and also plenty of avenues to downside, so plenty of downside. yeah the thing i like about you talk about the closeouts i think he does a good job of like protecting his dribble too when he attacks off the closeout he's not just reckless about it and he kind of has that arm bar out that you're taught from a young age um which maybe is going to be exposed somewhat uh at the next level but um yeah given the the shooting upside and the, the production he's had at such a young uh, as a sophomore uh is really impressive so um, at least someone definitely worth drafting and has a projectable offensive role. Um, it's just a matter of how valuable that is versus the defense. Um, but like I said, I lean more toward the offense being being valuable and kind of that maybe a sixth or seventh man role or a fourth or fifth starter. All right, yeah. So I've got a couple more guys that I wanna that that we're probably not going to spend as much time on. The first guy is Santiago Vescovi, um, t- uh, freshman point guard at Tennessee. He's like a NBA Global Academy guy who came over at the start of conference play, and he's been he's he's definitely a guy who's caught my eye. I mean, he's just this incredibly crafty, manipulative passer. I think he's he's six three. He's not super athletic or anything, but he he's such an incredibly manipulative passer. He he uses his eyes so well to to move defenders in in midair, um, out of the pick and roll. He moves weak, he moves weak guys weak side guys with his movements. I mean, there was a play against Vanderbilt. No, it was against Kentucky, I think, where he he turned his whole body to face um one of his teammates on the wing and then ended up throwing it to the corner anyway. So just having that level that level of passing and. I mean, he's like, I think he's at 80% from the line on pretty small sample. Um, seems like he's going to shoot and um, defensively uh, being 6'3", not super athletic, but he's, he's got legit, um, he's got legit team defense instincts and, and he's definitely um, pretty anticipatory on that end. But any thoughts on the Scoby guy? I've watched him. Good. I've watched him, I think one game, maybe a few clips on, here and there on Twitter. Um, I think he's at least intriguing. You said you talk, I think really smart player. Um, but I, but I'm just more skeptical. I, I just don't think he really reaches the athletic threshold. We have to, you really have to be as an NBA guy um, for my, and granted I have not seen a ton of them, but that's just my perspective. Um, and then looking at some stats, I think kind of backs it up against top 50 quality teams. He's at 44 and a half percent through shooting. He's at 54% at the rim, 23% on two pointers outside of the rim. Um, so I think there's definitely maybe a role for him in, uh, I don't know exactly if he can make some athletic gains, then then I'll be more intrigued. But I am not very intrigued from an NBA perspective just because I don't buy him at all athletically. Um, but definitely a really talented player in terms of instincts and awareness and ability to kind of uh, make the plays he wants as a passer. Um, at least has been fun to watch to an extent. But yeah. I just, yeah, if nothing I else, really he's a guy that is super fun to watch. And Tennessee is quietly a team I enjoy watching quite a bit with Viscovi. I mean, Pons just does some ridiculous <laughs> things. I mean, he he does he has some maddening decisions on offense. But just I think he had like six blocks against Kentucky. I mean, anytime they shot near him, it just went the other way. And like Josiah Jordan James is like kind of a weird 6'6 point guard. I don't know. Yeah, he's funky. Yeah. All right, so 
the last guy that I wanted to talk about briefly is a guy that I haven't seen a ton of, but has caught my eye um, quite a bit. It is uh, Leandro Bomaro. He plays for uh, Barcelona's B team. Um, also played FIBA uh, U19s Argentina. And I think this guy has like a case as the best handler in the class. Um, he's just so ridiculous stringing together dribble moves. He has the control. Just the way he, I think... Our, our friend Polar on Twitter made the point where he's so good with with stringing together different like dribble dribble heights and dribble speeds. Like he has a little quick one two dribbles. He he can do high hang dribbles and he changes directions so so seamlessly. And not not only just like beating this guy, but in, in the pick and roll he manipulates well. He has like these he'll have these plays where he'll spin back at the perfect time to totally just totally get the defenders stuck on on the pick and roll guy and he's definitely got a ways to go his shooting projection isn't that great i think he's like a this season this season at barcelona across all competition he's shooting under 70 percent from the line and his his shot's a little funky um he's not super strong or super bursty but just a guy with that handling ability and he's a pretty good passer for what i'm seeing i i haven't watched a ton of him so just just definitely got to watch i know a lot of People who are more more in tune with um, international prospects are big fans of Omaro. So, any thoughts on? I haven't seen him. I can't. I can't comment at all. Uh, he's definitely on my watch list now because of you and other guys who have mentioned him. But I don't have any insights to provide at this moment. Yeah, at the top of my watch list, also, but I've not had a chance to see him. <laughs> I didn't see him at the top of my watch list. Don't be putting words in my mouth. He's on, my <laughs> list, but they're <laughs> well. He's at the top of my watch list. <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely at least intriguing to, to get me to watch, given all the other players that exist in the basketball world. All right, so anybody else, either of you guys, would like to touch on? No, I think I think that covers it. I think we've we've touched on enough guys that have no <laughs> chance of being drafted. Yeah, that's that's going to be um, a theme with this, this podcast, <laughs> I think. I expect. So yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode two. Jackson, it was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and indulging us with your with your draft takes. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me on, guys. It's it's fun to uh, come on here and, and talk about this type of stuff. Jackson, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Um, you can find my NBA written content, NBA draft written content at uh, Fan Size of Step Back and uh, Dime Up Rocks. I'll have something on Isaac Okoro hopefully in the next week. So. Um, if you're an Okoro fan, I don't know if I would read it. It'll be a little less uh, enthusiastic of him. Um, but nonetheless, you can find my work there, and then you can find me posting clips aimlessly into the night on Twitter at JackFrank underscore JJF. You can follow the pod at uh, Prep2Pro uh, pod, Prep2Pro pod on Twitter. You can follow me at Max A. Carlin, where I will also be posting clips until 2, 3, perhaps even 4 a.m. <laughs> and you, you can follow Ben at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. Yeah. Once you guys cater to the international market, those clips won't be in, our clips won't be in the middle of the night. They'll be middle of the day for people overseas. So that's the next step for, uh, for our brand. Yeah, I guess we got to pivot to, to international <laughs> hoops exclusively. Yeah, so we will definitely cover that at some point in the future, as we will. Okay, well... Yeah. Thank you, Jackson, and uh, we'll talk to you guys uh, next week. See you guys.